0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. And this is Praz the Sandman, using my brain to keep your airway moving. And this week, once again, it is time for everybody's favorite Journal Club. Yay! Woohoo! Journal Club. Now, you know, Praz, you, I figured it would be good for us to talk about things that really should be just simple common sense, and sadly, in Today's day and age, common sense isn't.
2: I can't help but feel like this all started back in the day when people actually started to put labels on coffee mugs, marking that coffee is in fact hot. That was the start of the decline of humanity, and it has no doubt continued into
1: some of the cases that we see today. Being in medicine can absolutely lead one to have a little bit of a cynical outlook every now and again. And that's one of the things we try and combat here. Sure, we get frustrated, but we purposefully enjoy poking fun at the ridiculous as we teach you how to live a happier, safer, healthier life. And hopefully, uh, you know, think a little bit more about what's going on in your healthcare.
2: Yeah, yeah. And with any luck, it'll avoid some hospital visits, it'll avoid unpleasant complications, and probably
1: add a few years to your life. So this week, all our stories, while short, deal with things that really people should know not to do. I was just asking you before we turn to the recorder on, as long as we're talking about ridiculous concepts, Pros, are you familiar with raw water? You know, I wasn't up until very
2: long ago. I first saw the headline and I'm like, oh, I drink
1: raw water all the time. It's awesome. You never cooks water, right? Now, we're not talking (laughs) about unboiled water or even tap water. Although I have to say... My my brother constantly makes fun of me for just drinking water from the tap, which is a luxury that we have in many places in the United States, not all, but many. And he compares it to, I might as well be drinking out of the toilet in the bathroom in the back uh, without my Brita filter. <laughs> but raw water is basically a fancy name for stream water collected straight from the stream, and we're not talking about clear artesian springs. This could be roof runoff from your rain gutters or scooped up out of the LA river and just put in a glass jar and charged. I don't even want to think about how much they are probably charging you.
2: They sell this in stores and people pay for it. Is that correct?
1: Sadly, yes.
2: I guess I had a credit, whoever thought of that was a genius, you know, thinking they could actually like grab this stuff, sell it to people and actually make a profit.
1: Guys, what you're doing is, I'm going to look it up. I'm actually going to go to Google and look up the price of a bottle of raw water because I want to know how outraged I should be.
2: I mean, like there's a lot of ethical qualms, absolutely. But
1: from a business standpoint, wow. One store in New York is selling raw water at a price of two and a half gallons, sixty ninety nine. That is sixty one dollars to buy two and a half gallons of what is essentially uh, diarrhea. Yeah, toilet water probably would be cleaner. It would because it's filtered. And just for those of you yeah. who are unsure about this, the head of Live Water, one of the most popular raw water founders, uh, oh, I just he said, "Well, call me a." conspiracy theorist, but I think that the fluoride they're adding to the water doesn't do anything for your health, and it's just a mind-control drug. So, uh, per his request, you are a conspiracy theorist.
2: Therefore, the only other way to really get out of this is by going all natural, right? Taking your water straight from the streams where all kinds of forest critters are doing their business, and probably
1: some campers as well. Have you ever been tubing in the Midwest? People pee in those streams, like, shamelessly. I mean, I don't think anyone even tries to hide it anymore. No, it's a bunch of savages. That's what you want to drink? (laughs) So what's actually in
2: this stuff? Let's see. Aside from a lot of bacteria, clay, rocks, if we thought fluoride was bad, this has humic acid, plant decay material, and that's what gives water the dirty color that it has oftentimes.
1: Right. Yeah. That's that's how you can tell, according to live water, that your water is dead when it uh, turns green instead of that. You know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. I can't handle it anymore. If you (laughs) insist on paying sixty one dollars for unfiltered water full of Giardia and other bacteria, I strongly suggest that you boil it and at least prevent some of the safety. Because you might as well just be drinking straight out of the Ganges River in India, which, as you as we've mentioned on this uh, show before, not the cleanest. As an understatement. But let's move on to the first actual medical story, which is probably <laughs> my favorite of the week. Um, Praz, you ever tried to hold in a sneeze? Guilty on multiple occasions. I hate, always
2: used to hate um, being in class and being that guy when everyone's trying to listen to just hear that sneeze coming from a mile away. And I used to be very self-conscious about this. To some degree, I still am. But yes, I short answer, yes, I have on multiple occasions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely one of those people. I think we've all been guilty of it at one point or another, uh, whether it's, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself or if you have weird hangups like me where you're afraid to sneeze while driving in case it causes you to accidentally accelerate into the car in front of you or another lane. But that aside... There is one gentleman who really was aggressive about this, and it was published as a case study in the British Medical Journal, and that is not how you want a sneeze to go. That is the worst possible outcome for a sneeze. So I know we've talked about scientists naming problems on this show frequently, but I got to tell you, the doctors over at the BMJ are right on top of their game. This case study was called Snap, Crackle, and Pop, a (laughs) British man who had to sneeze, decided he didn't want to, so he pinched his nose, closing off both his nostrils, and closed his mouth, and just kind of tried to hold it back, and the sneeze burbled up, and at that point, he heard a popping sound in his neck. Shortly afterward, he began to feel a lot of neck pain, and by the time he sought medical treatment, he was having a hard time speaking and swallowing. Now, you deal with a lot of trauma in anesthesia, What's your thought process here?
2: There's a lot of very bad things that could be going on. Anytime – first of all, as a general statement, anytime anyone can feel air under their skin anywhere in their body, that's almost never a good thing, especially if it's air around the neck. It's usually a sign that there's some sort of like trauma or rupture of that tissue that's causing the air, which is normally contained in spaces, to escape and leak into the
1: skin. How dangerous is that?
2: It can be very dangerous. It can make you prone to infections. It can cause swelling, which will literally choke off various parts of your body. Very much unwanted.
1: So in the emergency room, x-rays were taken of this gentleman's neck and showed that the pent-up pressure from the sneeze had actually escaped through the windpipe and straight up ripped the soft tissue of his pharynx. That's right. It had torn through his throat and those lovely crackling sounds were the result of air bubbles leaching into his neck through the tears or rupture sites. This patient was admitted, obviously, due to the risk of this progressing to a deep neck neck infection or even inflammation of the chest structures known as mediastinitis. The way that we would treat something like this is avoid anything going into the mouth at that point and keeping a very close watch on them. So he got feeding through a nasogastric tube, a tube that goes in through your nose and all the way down to your stomach. Now, Praz, wouldn't it be dangerous to pass a nasogastric tube right when the whole problem began with him holding back a sneeze in the first place?
2: That's what I was thinking too, especially if you think the rupture is in the pharynx or in the nas- near the nasal structures. I would think passing a tube down there, which could get contaminated as well, and cause more trauma would be the last thing you would want to do. So so that's surprising. Yeah, I, w-
1: I was a little surprised. I was hoping that as someone more familiar with the head and neck anatomy, you might be able to tell me if passing the tube through the nasogastric instead of maybe down the throat itself would help you bypass the pharynx.
2: I think going oropharyngeal, like going into the mouth, would probably have been a better route to do it. But unfortunately... For awake patients, like I put in OG tubes all the time, but my patients are obviously sleeping. For someone who's awake, it's much harder to tolerate a tube going into the mouth because you pass around the palate and you have your gag reflex that's stimulated, which that isn't as much of an issue when you pass something to your nose, and maybe that was part of the reason
1: why. Okay, and then certainly having the closed-off, root of the tube allows you to send any medications, food, or whatever into the stomach without having to worry about, you know, it falling out of holes in the pharynx. So that that perhaps was the thought process. This right. particular case, the rupture site was probably from a sinus, which is a little bit different than Borjavi's syndrome, which is what we usually think of. Borjavi's syndrome is simply a tear in the thoracic esophagus, which can be followed by pain swallowing or speaking this gentleman did not complain of any chest pain which usually is the most common symptom associated with a spontaneous tear while this is probably the biggest issue the gentleman did end up being fine and his symptoms and emphysema did gradually resolve over the course of a two to three day hospital admission and he went home with the admonishment that uh Please do not obstruct your nostrils during sneezing. And I think that's probably the funniest, <laughs> if sad, doctor's yeah. advice that anyone's had to receive on a hospital discharge.
2: In all the times I've held a sneezing, I can't say I've ever even considered
1: that approach. Yeah, sneezes exit your body at something like 100 miles an hour. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah, that's what I thought too. That would That's a lot of velocity to hold back, a lot of force that's going on in your – no wonder a sinus ruptured. You
1: know? Now, holding back a sneeze is can injure potentially more than just your pharynx. Since your nose connects to your eustachian tube, which connects to your middle ear, potentially you could also push some of that air and force right through the tube and back into the middle ear. And you can get ear infections, eardrum ruptures. You can get some back pain or inflammation. There's a whole host of things that can happen if you hold in a sneeze. So, you know, When it comes to uh, expelling air, just better out than in, guys.
2: Those sets of tubes that connect very complicated through your face and head is a big also part of the reason why you can drink milk and sneeze it out through your nose, which would possibly also go into your ears as well, when I think about it.
1: Well, that's true. We all had the thing where you laugh so hard milk comes out your nose, but I don't think I ever heard about it coming out anyone's ears. That
2: would be a first, and... Please don't try doing this at home, please, while we're on the topic of common sense. So uh,
1: let's move on to our next story, which is, I can't believe I'm saying this, but guys, do not eat laundry detergent. You know, I've seen like people try doing pretty dumb things
2: over like, especially teenagers over the course of the years. There's like the chokehold challenges, bath salts, tampons soaked with alcohol. I mean, people get all kinds of ideas. Look,
1: I'll tell you that Uh, the dumbest thing I ever did back in college was I think the – and this is thank God before the age of YouTube and the internet – was probably the saltine cracker challenge or the flour challenge. Do you remember either of those? Yeah, basically –
2: the flour challenge, you would you put your whole mouth full of flour? No, just, just to... a
1: spoonful. That's it. You just try and swallow a simple spoonful of flour. And flour absorbing yeah. moisture, if you put a whole spoonful into a mouth filled with moisture, quickly becomes dough. Ooh, yeah. That's, uh, huh. So, yeah. dumb well. and, you know, probably dangerous depending on how much flour. You certainly don't want to obstruct your airway. But... But by and large, flour, still edible. The saltine challenge is eating 10 saltine crackers in under two minutes without drinking. This is difficult because being bread and salt will very rapidly dry your mouth out and lead to you looking, well, nothing worse than just patently ridiculous.
2: Yeah, okay. That one I I wouldn't say doesn't seem as stupid as some of the others. Oh,
1: they're all dumb, but but largely harmless. Yeah. However, okay. this is 2018, and we live in a whole new world. You always had a one-up the generation before, don't yep. we? So the Tide Pod Challenge, which at first I didn't even believe was real. It sounded like an Onion article. A typical, <laughs> a typical video shows a person placing a Tide Pod or a similar brand laundry detergent pod on their tongue or in their mouth. Within moments, it starts to dissolve. And they're seen choking, coughing, or vomiting.
2: Oh, it make for some good YouTube videos.
1: <laughs> no, do not support. I don't care how ridiculous it looks. Do not support this behavior.
2: Okay, you're right. You're right. That's, that's irresponsible. The
1: purpose of detergent, in case you were unaware of this, is to break up components of waste that is clinging to your pots, your pans, your laundry, or your hair uh, if you're using shampoo composed largely of a mixture of a bunch of synthetic chemicals, the most important ingredients in detergents are surfactants. Now, Praz, I know you remember surfactants because we got to learn all about them in med school.
2: Absolutely. So surfactants, believe it or not, this chemical in detergents is actually a chemical that's all over the inside of our lungs. And it's a very important chemical inside our lungs. Surfactant, basically, part of it which is hydrophilic and part of which is hydrophobic, or I guess water-soluble and fat-soluble, very opposite. We all know how grease and water don't really mix. Well, these surfactant molecules also can't mix with each other because they have parts that are always pushing each other away. These line up the lungs, and by pushing each other away, they actually help the lungs expand and keep our lungs open. As a side note, it doesn't really develop until... I don't know, the last few weeks in a baby's lung before they're born, which is why premature babies often have a lot of problems with respiratory distress and a lot of trouble breathing. And if they're born too early, may need life support just be- until
1: the, enough surfactant develops to, for them to breathe on their own. So in the lungs, that repulsive action helps to push your lungs open. But in detergents or in cleaning solutions, grease will get trapped inside that grease-loving center of these molecules and gets lifted right off the surface. So here's where the problem comes in. Your mouth and your digestive system, as well as which are known as your mucous membranes, uh, are full of water, but they're also full of fats. So when you put a Tide Pod or a surfactant molecule into your mouth, into one of these mucous membranes, it's going to start aggressively stripping away fats from your digestive system, which is, as you may suspect, not ideal.
2: Just as aggressively as strips dirt off your clothes, this situation is clearly much worse. People will start having a lot of bad symptoms like throwing up, diarrhea, uh, abdominal pain, farting, and
1: worse. Now, the problem would be bad enough it was if it was just due to vomiting, diarrhea, and things like that. But these Tide Pods don't have only surfactants to get off detergent. You also want your dishes to be sparkling white, so you're gonna have things like bleach. Now, you can certainly conceive of the idea that swallowing bleach is pretty terrible. They can cause inflammation of the esophagus. It can cause tears, like in our poor snap crackle pop gentleman up in the first story. And If the tears or the inflammation is bad enough, it narrows the opening and digestion is restricted. And this, when it's done due to swallowing things like bleach or Drano, can be irreversible.
2: I'm sure Ward has his share of uh, horror stories, if you were here, of people drinking bleach, coming into the emergency room and just seeing just how bad shape they get into very quickly.
1: Yeah. So we've reached a point where, you know, people are sitting here thinking, Thinking it's a good idea to strip away the fats from their digestive system, swallow bleach, and a whole host of other chemicals that I haven't even gone into, with other corrosive effects, for the sake of, uh, I guess, looking cool in front of friends. I mean, it's gotten so bad that supermarket Tide itself has released its own ad with their spokesperson telling you not to eat Tide pods, and laundry store or stores like walmart laundry stores stores like walmart and target and even dollar stores are locking up tide pods this is what we've come to you can in america it is now the tide and laundry detergent is kept in a locked glass case but you can still buy a gun uh, with no problem and i think that's It's a very interesting comment on where America is today. Yeah, certainly um, prioritizing, huh? Yeah. So, uh, look, I I really don't know what else to tell people. But again, as it should be common sense, it clearly isn't. But please, if you're looking for the next big trend or meme, let's leave detergent out of it. Keep your nose clean and (laughs) your throat free of tide. Yeah,
2: but no, it's fluoride that everyone worries about. Of course. Okay,
1: so which is the dumber trend, do you think? Tide Pods or raw water? It's a very,
2: very difficult um, conclusion, and they both set the bar so low, that's what makes this so hard. On one hand, like, raw water is at least water, on the other hand, you're like literally drinking bear diarrhea.
1: And at least the bears <laughs> know better than to eat Tide Pods. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But let's move on to our next story. Now, I, I figured after a few of those more cynical ones, let's bring a little bit of optimism back and have some fun with it. There aren't a lot of brands out there that actively encourage you to urinate on their advertisements. In fact, that's more something along the lines, it almost sounds like a Tide Pod challenge. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm so angry at Tide, I'm just going to start urinating. Even toilet companies don't usually say, this toilet's so great, we want you to practice pissing on a picture of it. (laughs) That would be quite an endorsement. However, (laughs) one company has really gone above and beyond with this. So Ikea home of delicious meatballs and oddly difficult to pronounce names, has pulled a new advertising stunt in the Swedish women's magazine Amelia. The furniture giant offers you a discount if you go to the toilet on the page.
2: Peeing on paper isn't an entirely new concept. This is actually the basis of the pregnancy test that we use today, where you pee on a piece of What is it, litmus paper? It turns a certain color if it's positive, if there's certain chemicals, and it turns a different color if those chemicals are absent. So my guess is it has something to do with pregnancy and maybe once people know that they're expecting family members, they'll want to buy more furniture.
1: Yeah, it's actually an advertisement for a crib at IKEA. And if you pee on the page. And the advertisement will change color telling you that you are pregnant and can now get 50% off a crib. Uh, All you have to do is presumably take the urine-soaked coupon in to receive your discount, where I'm sure the store workers will be delighted with your news rather than, I don't know, upset at having to accept a piss-drenched voucher.
2: I'm sure they're happy to grab it from you with their bare hands. Of course,
1: if you aren't pregnant, all you've done is urinated on a magazine. So, you know. (laughs) Can I still get my crib? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I'm just going to, you know, there's a thought. That's the next challenge. Just start bringing in coupons everywhere that are soaked in urine. You know, it's... If you have to do something foolish, I'd rather see that than people eating Tide Pods. Can you imagine if you go into like Ralph's or something and you're like, oh, here you go. Uh, do I get discounts on these things now? Sir, why does this smell like urine? Oh, no reason. I just, you know, was checking through my mail and wanted to see what
2: turned up. The day I can't pee on my magazines is a day I don't want to keep
1: going. <laughs> And you're right, Praz. The pregnancy test strip was used as a starting point, which relies initially on the hormone HCG, which you see in pregnancies, uh, will increase in pregnancies. They then took that with and combined it with antibodies that result in a color change and then had to scale up the technique and adopt it to the physical format of a printed ad. So this is technically, and when I say technically, I mean the technical difficulty in creating a magazine advertisement for this is really impressive they had to use yeah. medical diagnostics, careful selection of materials, together with the controlled flow. I mean, this is, it really is technically impressive what was accomplished. Also, they could have a very dubious coupon to bring <laughs> people into the store.
2: Yeah, I imagine there's more expensive to advertise doing all this, and they're giving their cribs for 50% off. It's hard to see how they'd make a profit
1: off this. Well, look. I guess we'll just have to see what happens in Swedish IKEAs, but I don't think. Maybe they'll just. Start- yeah, I don't think this is a advertising technique we're going to see in the U.S. anytime soon.
2: I suppose they could make up the cost by selling raw water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to the last story of the day, and you know, rather than be long-winded with this intro, I will cut right to it. Time to break the air <laughs> with this story. Yeah, uh, scientists have created a pill to measure your farts, and the results don't stink. <laughs> this comes from – oh, God, this is going to be too easy. Santos is going to miss these puns. Uh, <laughs> this is from a group of researchers at RMIT University and Monash University down under in Australia. <laughs> nice. And – a. The study was recently published at nature electronics or nature.com and ran a human pilot trial of an ingestible electronic capsule capable of sensing gases in the gut pocket sensors and a smartphone app allow the pill to send real time readings of oxygen, hydrogen and carbon dioxide all along your own personal wind tunnel, which they say is a more reliable and less evasive way than other methods. Now, these pill cams and sensors are not new, and in fact, we've been using them for a couple years, and sometimes even in place of colonoscopies, right, pros?
2: Yeah, that's right. Sometimes they do swallow capsule studies where they do just that, swallow the pill, and I mean, it can measure gas, but it does serve a lot of other functions going down uh, the
1: digestive system as well. And usually the capsule studies have been used in the past to look for things like internal bleeding or tears that are too small to be noticed with other methods of imaging, Uh, or also when you're worried about using a colonoscope, which is the camera on a tube that gets shoved up your behind. Um, In order to successfully see things, your gut is kind of this big floppy slinky. So for a successful colonoscopy, they actually have to pump air into your colon in order to inflate it enough to see what's going on. And of course, that air that they pump in has to come out. So a lot of people with colonoscopies are warned that you will probably be a little bit more gassy for the next day or so. But it's not your gas. It's borrowed gas.
2: Is there any other kind? (laughs) Any better kind, I should say.
1: So the authors did... I I just... I can't get enough of this trial. This is fantastic. (laughs) Um, And the reason that they're doing this is that the authors of the study are hopeful that the gas readings can help clear the air over the inner workings of our intricate innards and the multitudes of microbes they contain. That is a beautiful scientific sentence.
2: You can't make this up. I mean, there was, must have been a lot of thought going into that one. Yeah.
1: And usually methods to, you know, collecting data on human farts has been a surprising challenge. We really don't understand a lot about passing gas. Uh, previous methods to bottle it in involved cumbersome and invasive tubing and whole body calorimetry, which is a special kind of testing. So this is really a good advantage. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the trial. Researchers tested this capsule in the pilot study in six healthy people. For the first, they monitored how long it took the pill to get through the intestine using ultrasound and linked locations with gas profiles. Imagine uh, an Uber app, just watching the car travel through your digestive gut with something similar, but not quite like GPS positioning. That'd be quite all right. <laughs> right? What's, what's your review? How was your driver? Was he courteous? Kind? Gassy. Um, (laughs) Overall, it took about 20 hours for the pill to get from one end of the digestive tract to the other. It spent around four and a half hours in the stomach, two and a half in the small intestine, and a solid 13 hours cruising through the colon. Yeah, definitely solid if it was 13 hours. And in that time, the pill took continuous ongoing measurements that gave useful information in addition to gut position. For example, carbon dioxide and hydrogen levels peaked in the early hours of time in the colon, while oxygen levels crashed during that stretch of the trip. This makes sense because there's a whole bunch of anaerobic bacteria or bacteria that can live and thrive without oxygen that inhabit the colon. The job they have there is to ferment undigested food bits into fatty acids and to make poop. Now, the next trial involved the researchers having one person take the pill on a very high-fiber diet, and then on two weeks later, a very low-fiber diet, a high-fiber diet being about 50 grams per day. Uh, In the high-fiber test, the man passed the pill in about mm, maybe 20 20 hours, 23, I'm sorry, in 13 hours total, but he was not happy about it. Uh, He had a lot of abdominal pain, a ton of bloating, intestinal gas, Um, just was not a good time. In the low fiber diet, after 36 hours, the researchers actually had to give this poor brave soul additional fiber to help the pill keep moving through his system. So Uh, that's a real sacrifice for science there.
2: Both of those situations sound just awful.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I bet he could have washed down that low fiber diet with some raw water. There you go. That'll speed things along. (laughs) Absolutely. So (laughs) understanding you know the breakdown of gas in our intestines and what bacteria may be living there may ultimately help in customizing diets for people with very unique dietary issues whether that's celiac disease or other digestive diseases like Crohn's
2: ulcerative colitis Thank you.
1: that's the one i couldn't remember the idea of a fart pill i mean you would think to yourself well gas is gas it just happens but it turns out Writing something off as, well, this is just the way it is, is not a good method to approach, whether it's due to Tide Pods or fart pills. So medicine, just like real life, really relies very often on common sense and studying things that everyone should know but often doesn't.
2: Along those lines, and sort of of tying everything up together from early on, I know it's social grace, but try not to hold your farts in too long. We certainly don't want air rupturing or escaping through your colon, although I don't know if I've ever heard of that happening from holding in farts alone. Have you? You
1: know, I, I can't say that I've ever heard of anybody suffering from a severe medical issue from holding a fart in for too long. It could reabsorb. If you're constantly holding in your fart, it could reabsorb into your bloodstream, and some of those methyl compounds potentially could be exhaled through your breath. So you could have uh, fart burps. Ooh. Bubble up to your mouth and be the ultimate case of, of bad breath. One way or another, your body wants to expel excess gas. And it's a fight that your body is going to win. Get rid of it somehow. Please. Yeah. Shrek yeah. was not kidding. Better out than in. Because the anal sphincter does have a little bit of holding ability but not a lot and the longer you hold in a fart the more powerful it will be on its expulsion
2: exactly let it flow let
1: it flow don't hold it back (laughs) anymore as we ruin frozen for an entire generation of children or or, you know what knowing kids sense of humor just made it that much better there you go you're welcome parents Well, that's it for this week's Journal Club in terms of common sense medicine. Uh, We haven't done a Just the Tip in a while, so I figured I would talk this week about a recent trip I took with uh, Dr. Ward, and he and I are both avid fishermen when the opportunity arises. So we went on up this weekend or this past weekend to International Falls, Minnesota, Right near the town of Baudette, Minnesota, to do a little bit of ice fishing at the Sportsman's Lodge. Now, when I tell you ice fishing, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
2: I picture you guys on a lake, a frozen lake with a hole in the middle and like a stick sticking going through there.
1: Sure. I'd never been ice fishing before. And I was thinking almost of like a little wooden shack with no heat where we're all huddled around with, you know, big old six packs of beer and a cooler where, you know, we have one big hole in the ice, like a Teenage Ninja Turtles manhole size ice hole. And turns Hmm. out I was wrong, but not by much. We did go out on the middle of a frozen lake. The entire weekend, Minnesota, I don't think, went into positive temperatures once. The warmest it got was maybe, maybe one or two degrees Fahrenheit, Uh, But that was not accounting for wind chill, So it really stayed largely negative 10 or negative 20 Fahrenheit almost the entire time. So we went out into a little shack, which was about the size of an outhouse, but it was heated by a propane tank, which meant that every so often we did have to crack the window to make sure that we were getting enough oxygen and we wouldn't, you know, worry about having to suffocate from a lack of air in the room. There were four or five different holes cut throughout the ice. Each one, I'd say about the size of a deep dish Chicago style pizza. And we Mm. went fishing for walleye and sagar. We used minnows as bait. And you really sit there and have to, in some ways, dangle your bait and hope that the fish is big enough that it's worth catching, but not so big that it can't fit through the hole that's drilled in the ice. Uh, Was that actually an issue for you guys? You know, I'd like to say yes, because I'm just that good a fisherman. But practically speaking, (laughs) no, the largest fish we caught was 16 inches and easily able to clear the ice hole. However, Mm. being inside that little cabin was actually very, very warm, even though it was negative 20 outside. And they even have a few sleeper cabins if you want to camp out on the lake while doing your fishing. It was an absolute heap of fun, highly recommended and pretty cheap, considering you know we spent eight or nine hours sitting in a little shack catching our dinner, which the lodge was then happy to clean and cook for us at the cost of only three dollars a fish each fish providing nice. two to some up uh, each fish providing two fillets so there was a lot of good eating this weekend
2: yeah, yeah. I just hope you didn't accompany your meal with some of the ice water. No,
1: no, the only people drinking raw water were the fish. So, <laughs> thank goodness for that. So, many thanks to Sportsman's Lodge in Minnesota. If any of our listeners are up there, and you've never tried ice fishing before, this is the season for it, and it is more fun than I can begin to describe. It is not complicated to learn, and they will really walk you through every step if you've never done any kind of fishing before. So check it out. That's our Just the Tip. And that is our show for the week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Links to do that on all of the places are in the show notes along with our sources. And for the love of God, don't drink raw water and don't eat Tide Pods. You're better than that, people.
2: We believe in you.
1: (laughs) Until next week, as always, happy travels.
2: Happy travelers, everybody.